0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio, it's time for Family Business Radio. Showcasing outstanding
1: family businesses and the advisors who assist them.
2: Good afternoon, this is Anthony Chen and you're listening to Family Business Radio. Today, we have two great guests coming with us. Uh, for our first guest, we have Leah Zimmerman with Stepping Stool Coaching and our second guest, Jeremy Brimer with All 4 Restoration. So kicking off, kicking off the show, we have Leah. Leah, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's really
2: an honor. Yeah, thank you for coming on. So kind of share with us a little background. What got you to finding your consulting and starting your firm, Stepping Stool Coaching? <laughs>
1: Well, there are a lot of different ways to tell that story. I would start by saying, I think I've always been a coach. I just didn't know that was something you could call it. I was always interested in how you support others. And even as a child recognized where leadership failed, whether it was parents, teachers, or others who weren't helping people to grow, they were just sharing their disappointment of unmet expectations or pressuring them to do more. And I knew there must be another way. And that drove a lot of what I did later in education. And then um, what I wanted to do was to be in theater. So then I had to face a lot of that in theater too, to encourage myself. But that's when I had really great coaches and also met someone who had turned theater coaching into a blueprint for how to do executive coaching. And so all through my leadership journey, then when I was a director and running a program, I also knew that I was becoming a coach. I could see how I was now shifting into the roles that my coaches had played for me. And I knew I wanted to take that in the next direction. And as I started, I was looking for a name. I was helping a friend out and I was having a conversation with my husband who said, well, how long can you stay helping him? And I said, oh, it's just right now I'm giving him a stepping stool and I'm giving him, helping him create these next moves that he was taking. And mostly I was just driving because he was out of a car. He was able to now reach new things. And I thought that's really the image that I want. And then as I moved into family businesses, which came about because I, from my communication background and education and theater, and part of that coaching experience I'd had was a lot around communication. And I started to talk about difficult conversations and so then a lot of family businesses started to want to talk to me. And then the stepping stool, I think has extra meaning there when it comes to family businesses, because you are often talking about succession planning and talking about different generations within a business.
2: Can you give us a, cause I know from your content and the things that you talk <laughs> about revolves a lot around family conflict and, as you touch on some of the very sensitive topics of succession planning, can you give us kind of a a story of what got you down that path and kind of an experience?
1: Sure. So I started doing these workshops, how to have difficult conversations and a few different family businesses reached out to want to have conversations with me about what was going on in their families. And one in particular was someone who I ended up working with for a while. And he was the second generation in his family's business. His parents were baby boomers who were talking about retiring But they hadn't done anything. And he was the manager and running the business and really facing a dilemma. Am I staying here? What are my parents doing with this? And do I stay here or do I I need to go out on my own? And if I go out on my own, then they're not well taken care of because they really need this business to continue. They haven't uh, something else entirely planned. And uh, it was really coming to understand where he was sitting in that dilemma and realizing all the steps that they had already taken as a family, sitting with a lawyer and sitting with a wealth advisor, um, and where the conversations had gotten stuck. And um, working with him, I was able to help him be able to change those conversations and be able to guide his parents towards through the fears they were facing and through the challenges. And that's kind of what opened my eyes to where those conversations really matter and how much business is being lost and how how much legacy is not getting passed down because we don't know how to have those conversations. And in my particular story, personally, I've always been figuring out again and again how to reinvent my relationship with my parents. Also, my grandparents were very big in my life and other relatives, how to have a voice without being overpowering. Without, I, I, what I say actually is how to speak up without being outspoken or how to have power without being overpowering. And it's often this conflict how to want your parents' approval, but not back away because you're not sure you're going to get it if you take a step in a different direction. And because I have also that awareness in my own background, in order to become who I wanted to be in my life, I'm able to really kind of blend that with the coaching and the communication and also I'd say a big piece of it is with conflict is emotional regulation and I've always cared about how conflicts happen and I had resolving conflict in my background from my teaching days in New York City and I've always been interested in how you can find solutions that don't end up being a win-lose situation but a win-win situation. And a lot of it is conversation moves that we just aren't aware of. And as I became more aware of that gap of what people want in their relationships and their businesses and the language that we have and the moves we're aware of or the tools we have for managing the emotions that come up around that, um, I really felt like the place I wanted to step in. And the more I talk about family, the more I realize I'm really in my right spot. Family has always mattered for my family. As you might have seen in one of my recent posts, my dad um, really early on taught me and instilled uh, it was a day that I'd come home in trouble because I had made fun of my brother at school. And this is your family. And you don't have to like each other, but you're family together. And my family has been a source of strength and a sense of belonging. Also something I've had to separate from in other ways. My family had an implicit message that, you know, we'll always love you no matter what, even if you're crazy. And even when you do all those stupid things you do or whatever, that wasn't their language, but that kind of double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, that is a lot of how family is. And a lot of families that work in businesses together, pride that they're a family business and those relationships matter. But how do you create the separation of the individual and honor the individual at the same time belonging to the entity?
2: So, how did you get interested in specializing in conflict resolution, and now even niche down even something more specialized, this family business sphere?
1: Yeah, so my my initial introduction to conflict resolution came when I was teaching in New York City, and it was. Something that was offered and I really had no idea how to manage the classroom. I had a lot of natural predispositions as a teacher, and I had been teaching kids and working with kids my whole life. But managing 25 kids in a New York City classroom was a whole new thing. And I found that slamming the door didn't really work. Yeah. So I loved, I suck up any trainings that came my way. And the conflict resolution training was really very helpful because the language it gave me was how to identify the behavior, separate that from the person. But more so, I loved what it helped me do between the kids. So an example would be what you typically see on the playground. The kid comes running in from the playground and says, teacher, teacher, so-and-so pushed me. Well, you should go, go tell so-and-so, so-and-so, don't push anymore. Something like that. The child would come to me and I'd say, and how did that make you feel? I felt scared. And so you don't want them to do that anymore? No. So, what would you tell them? I don't want you to do that anymore. It makes me scared. Okay, now go get them, and the other child would come, and one child would now, and then now they the child would look at me expectantly, ready to get the other one in trouble. But I'd say, now tell the other one, the one that hurt you, what you just told me. And so the child says, I don't like when you push me because it really made me feel scared. And the child would go, I'm sorry. Can we go play now? And it would be over, and that's it and done and i'd have to get upset i'd have to make anyone feel bad Mm. but hearing a child and hearing they'd hurt somebody affected a peer more than anything i could do and that really uh that really interested me and became a turning point for me in terms of how i pursued how to resolve conflicts and how to deal with conflicts Mm.
2: well now and then yeah well now you've gone from Managing, uh, kids at a playground or, or 24, 25 kids in, in, in New York City. Now you're working with individuals and, and family businesses. Can you kindly of share with us, you know, what it's like? in terms of how different it is working from either the classroom <laughs> or the individual or now taking the whole oh, sure. Well, away. there are a lot
1: of steps along the way. And one of the things that I think is really formative for me is uh, I grew up with a really strong Jewish background, came from that tight-knit fam- Jewish family. And part of my background was very big on Zionism and supporting Israel with a particular bent and way of approaching it. And my very nice Jewish husband, who I married, got interested in studying Arabic. And that led us to living in Cairo and then living in Beirut and living as a Jew in Cairo and living as a Jew in Beirut led me into some very different kinds of conversations and then talking to other people about having lived in those places or about what that field encountered. Like the person who I say, my husband's studying Arabic literature and looks at me and goes, oh, I guess they have literature too, is a a little bit of a challenge. And so it put me in the middle of a lot of difficult conversations, right smack in the middle of arguments uh, that we see happening on the front page all the time Mm -hmm. and figuring out how to navigate that um, and really being introduced to many different narratives of the Middle East by learning the individuals and the human stories involved. Also change something shifted. I think in my brain, the year we were living in Beirut and I started to be able to hold multiple narratives and see that they really weren't in competition with each other. They really were the negative and positive space in relationship to each other. And then I also was working in synagogues that are intergenerational um, and have many different kinds of stakeholders. And when you are leading a program within a program and you have stakeholders who all have different things that they want. So there are many families that I've worked with over the years, sometimes individually and having to navigate This parent isn't allowed to see this one, and and you have to watch what you say to one parent because the other parent will have a reaction. The intergenerational things that come up. Then you also have within the uh, synagogue, you have generations of the older generation has a particular view of how money raising should go, or what membership should look like, or what the parents should be doing, and how kids should be behaving. And then you have those families that you're working with, and there's change happening within the organization. And I definitely had to learn how to manage difficult conversations because you can't back away from saying the things that need to be said but you can say them in a way that helps people be able to hear them and helps them understand why it's in their interest to engage and how to help guide them towards solutions so I was always continuing and so more in that vein and more recently I became trained in nonviolent communication which is a uh, A really great technique for being able to speak up for your needs and your requests when you understand what's going on. So I'd say that that's kind of how I got to where now working with a family, uh, what I do is a little bit different too. There are mediators out there and there are organizational psychologists who work with organizations out there. I really help the conversation. the family get down to what really matters. And I also mix the coaching in a little bit when I'm working with individuals so that they can start having real conversations with each other. So my goal isn't only to just help them come to a resolution, but it's to be able to use the conflict as a way to talk about what really matters. When you talk about what really matters, you're usually going to a deeper level of conversation than most people have. You're able to have a more human exchange and start to reconnect and rebuild relationships in a different way. And so the families that I work with are not just interested in coming to a final solution. They're interested in being able to move through the conflict because if you go through the conflict there on the other side, there is deeper connection. And the more I do it, the more I believe in that, and the more I see it happen. And uh, it's hard sometimes, like, what am I doing when I'm in the middle of stepping into somebody's conflict? But it is always really gratifying when people start to be able to reconnect with each other and see each other in new ways.
2: Well, it's definitely a delicate balance. It's almost like you you have to be an expert at tightrope walking. And uh, Mm -hmm. on both sides, you got, as you say, a lot of competing Stakeholders. So, uh, what is kind of uh, you did touch a little bit about uh, being trained with, with nonviolent uh, communication uh, mm-hmm. between partners. So, so, is that one of the processes that you use uh, when working with your clients and kind of share with us or kind of give us a sneak peek uh, as to I our listeners the- what it looks like?
1: Yeah. So, nonviolent communication is divided into four parts and starts with being able to notice and see what's going on, then being able to speak up for what's for your needs and to be and, and ultimately to be able to make a request. There's empathy and needs and the requests involved. And um, I don't use it, I also have to share it as a resource to people who I think that that formula will really help them. Uh, there's a real specific formula and anyone who is near Google can just go and uh, Google nonviolent communication and there'll be a slew of images that will show you the four steps um, that you can take. I I do it a little differently because I start with what matters and why, why are you fighting for this? And I start with self-awareness when I work with people, I really want to know where they're coming from and what they're fighting for. It just makes, it helps that conversation go a little further. And I also like to help them start to see where other people are coming from. But the key thing I think that the nonviolent communication really uh, helps highlight is that most of the time what we're fighting for is that we have a need that's not being met, but we're not often aware of that need. We're just aware of the emotion we have towards the person who's not meeting it. And when we start to be able to see that I have this emotion and I have this emotion because I really need my parent to see and care about my future and they're not moving forward with any decision about whether I'm going, what's going to happen with this business. Don't they care? But I don't know how to say that to them because all kinds of reasons that happen in a family of why we don't feel if we can say what we really want to say. And so being able to realize how you can make that request to say, I really see that you're stuck. There are a lot of things that are hesitating about in terms of making a decision of where you want this business to go. But here's where I stand. I'm at this age with my family. I love this business. I'd love to stay in it and I'd love to see it work for you. But I have to make a decision because if I'm going to make a change, I need to make it soon. So I would like to request that you take this next action, whatever that might be, towards this conversation so that we could start moving in some direction that helps me be able to make my decision. And I brought that story up specifically because I had referenced the client in that situation before and really underneath it, and this is true for many of the second generation, third, fourth, or whoever's working with the uh, parents' as bosses, is the wanting parent mental approval. And really that's an underlying need that's often there. And because of that need, and it's not being recognized. They don't know how to say what they want to say because they might not get that approval or might get in the way of the approval. For parents, what they really want often in the business is the appreciation and to know that their life has meant something, but they don't know how to ask for that. Once you start to know what you really want and how to ask for it and what's at stake for the other person and what they're really trying to ask for, you start to be able to step into the same conversation because otherwise you're in two different conversations. You're talking at each other, but you're not really living in the same reality with the same goals of where you want your conversation to go. And that's, um, that's kind of, does that answer your question?
2: It's a lot of layers uh, with that. So <laughs> it's almost like an onion, yeah. egg, which is why someone <laughs> like yourself would come in and help. Uh, families peel those layers uh, out so yeah. for, for those who are kind of listening and and their mind is kind of being blown and going well i've never had that <laughs> particular perspective uh when uh-huh. having a conversation whether it was my sibling or my parents or my kids uh what's kind of the, the first step especially with the holidays coming around i mean what, what's the first step for someone to be able to at least start that difficult conversation and trying to resolve it
1: yeah Absolutely really great. One thing I'd say is that there are always those layers of play, but not everyone is ready to deal with all those layers and you don't have to deal with all those layers in order to move forward. And it doesn't always feel so mind blowing. If I'm having a conversation with somebody because I'm in their conversation from their reality and not asking them to step into my conversation about it. So I listen to people and I respond, but the first thing, and. um, I've created something uh, as a guy just, just for this recently, um, is is to start to what I call calibrate, which is what does it mean for you? What's at stake? And why is it at stake for you? So I can't believe we're going to their house again for Thanksgiving. We always go there and they always make the house. Do they think their house is so much better than our house? What's that really about? Or we, they never take in mind in, into account the timing, of the children. We always have to do things really late. And no one's really remembering that we have small children. What's really at stake? Or the difficult conversation that's just about, well, so where are you applying to college now? And I don't really want to talk about where I'm applying because, you know, there's some grades that haven't been finished. And I'm not happy with how I did on my, SA, my ACTs or my SATs. And I don't really want to, have to answer that. Or the, when are you going to get married? Um uh, another story somebody told me was that you're vegetarian, but you really just try a little bit of turkey. You'll be okay. It won't hurt you. The different kinds of things that come up. And when you start to be able to anticipate what they might be and know what pay attention to what rises inside you. See if you can notice what those emotions are and what you think they're trying to tell you, what's at stake for you, and what's the boundary. Uh, there's always a move of how to redirect the conversation. There are a lot of moves, and that's what I'm going to be talking about next week when I host my Navigating Difficult Family Conversations event. Um, it's on Eventbrite, because there's more that I can share in a brief moment. But the first step is to start to pay attention to what all of that means, because when you know what it's at stake for you, and you know what matters, and what is your request? How can you have empathy for the others? And what's your request? One person who says, why do we always have to go to their house? Maybe the request is, I understand that you really like to host, but when you would really like to have the honor to have everybody to our house and speak up for it. And maybe if the other person is, you know, we always get together in the evenings and it, you know, it's really fun and special. But now that we have young children, it's really hard. Can we consider, can we talk about what it looked like to start earlier next time? How do we put those requests out there in a way that people don't feel threatened? They don't feel they have to fight us back, but we know what they are and we can show up with integrity in the way that we ask them. That is the first step. So the first step is, and that's a lot of things for a first step, but it's all goes in that general category of knowing what's at stake for you. When you know it's at stake for you, the language can come. What's at stake? What are the emotions? And why does that matter?
2: It's not just the first step. It's almost like a kind of a large step on on a stepping stool.
1: (laughs) It's a large step on the stepping stool. But the first piece of that is to just start noticing in advance the emotions that come up. Because if you can start to notice the emotions that rise inside you, be aware of them. You now have, just by having noticed them, you've added a tool. You've added a little bit of a space where you can not be so reactive, but you can choose your response a little bit more because you're aware of it, because you're seeing it from a little bit of an observer. And once you allow yourself to be observer of your emotions and the observer of how you're feeling, you've given yourself a lot more room to maneuver. So it's really that initial piece of observing it. Observe how you feel. See if you can figure out what the feeling is telling you. There's a lot of wisdom and insight you already have. And you, you just have to tap into that as the place to start. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, you mentioned about your uh, event coming. Can you share with us how our audience might be able to find it?
1: Yes. If you go to Eventbrite, Navigating Difficult Family Conversations, I think it will come right up. Um, I have a link. I don't know if there's somewhere that you post links where I can put that, but um, I can also give that to you. It's Navigating Difficult Family Conversations Over the Holidays. And if you put that with my name into Eventbrite, it should come up pretty fast. Uh, I can give you the full, like I'm pulling it up, and I can give you the full URL. Mm. It has some extra numbers added to it. I don't have that in front of me. Um, uh, But I'm pulling it up, and I can share that with you. Uh, Here it
2: is. We'll we'll put it in, in the show notes.
1: That's perfect, because I don't think anyone's going to really remember them. I never write those things down like <laughs> look right. in the show notes. <laughs> well, for, for our listeners,
2: how best can they find someone like yourself? Because with all the uh, questions and the scenarios, you just wrote off your tongue. It's almost like you, you've had some of these conversations with clients. So for the clients uh, that are listening, you're going, oh, she gets it. So how can they find you?
1: Thank you for that. Uh, SteppingSoulCoaching.com is the best way to find me steppingstoolcoaching.com and I have on my homepage, a difficult conversations checklist that does have all those first steps but the first part to calibrate in there uh, that I shared and that's the best way to find best way to find me also on LinkedIn I love to be found on LinkedIn and on LinkedIn I am at the the LinkedIn slash in LinkedIn.com slash in slash and then when it comes to the name it's leah hyphen r hyphen zimmerman hyphen um to find me on linkedin because there are a lot of zimmerman, leah zimmermans more in the world than some other names so um that's the way to find me right. on linkedin and i love talking to people on linkedin and i do post almost every day well thank you leah thank you anthony
2: wait now we're moving from the metaphysical uh, or emotions to the physical of buildings. We have Jeremy Breimer with R4 Restoration. Welcome to the show, Jeremy.
0: Uh, thank you, Anthony. It's a pleasure to be
2: here. Great. Can you share with us a little bit about your background as to what got you started?
0: Yeah. Um, it's kind of a blessing and a curse, I guess, growing up with an uh, entrepreneurial father, uh, always running his own business, um, whether it be, you know, sign business or, or uh you know, marketing and and graphic design and stuff. So I kind of just grew up in that environment Um, when I was young, you know, started going to construction sites when I was eight years old, just really, really fell in love with uh, the process with building and, and doing construction work and stuff. And uh, you know, always out in the woods kind of putting together tree forts every summer and stuff like that. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, ever since I was young, just kind of got into that. And um, that's really kind of what kicked it all off is just having that, uh, inspiration, I guess, for, for being an entrepreneur nah. from my father. And then also just that, that drive. I mean, that's kind of what I really, I didn't know any better, right? I, I never really did a, a, a big nine to five. It was usually always just kind of, um, working for other young entrepreneurs or family owned businesses. So, uh, in the service service industry. So it was always Always uh, that background there.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned building Tree Force. Was that your first project <laughs> or, or, or was it something else? Uh,
0: well, it was probably like, you know, Legos or, or oh, Duplo okay. blocks or whatever, right? So that would mm-hmm. probably be my first project.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, then do you remember what was your first, like your full-on R4 business uh, project? And What was that like?
0: Oh, man. No, I, I don't even really remember that. I guess some significant ones, though, would be... Um, You know, when I when I first went out on my own and started my own uh, business and then, you know, we were I was knocking on doors and and talking with customers and just trying to do kind of handyman stuff at first. Mm -hmm. And then um, that led into, uh, well, if you do this, can you do this? And my answer was always yes. I never said no. And um, that (laughs) in itself um, taught me a lot. Because if I accepted a project, I would have to learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, some of the you know first projects uh, I did, maybe you know, roofing houses, um, you know, cutting out siding and reframing and putting in windows, just it, things like that, were some of the first things that I, I really started doing in the uh, in the industry on my own. Mm-hmm. Right. So, can,
2: can you kind of share with us with the audience, like, what are some things that you learned and you wish you had known before when you started the company?
0: Oh, man. Um, It really comes down to uh, just because, you know, a trade or a skill doesn't mean you really should be running a business. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of lessons learned on the business side of things. Um, And, you know, although I never went to college or anything, I I definitely paid um, more than my fair share of tuition uh, in terms of uh, failed uh, attempts at marketing or, you know, different investments or, or, you know, uh, underbidding projects and they take a lot longer than you anticipate and, you know, just different things like that. So, um, definitely before, uh, I went out and started a business, I wish I would have learned a lot more about business. Um, read some books, maybe, you know, really tried to, uh, structure the business on paper before I just started doing the work.
2: Well, that kind of segues to the the next elephant in the room question is uh, for someone who's kind of on the fence, kind of in the same path you are, and considering starting their own business, what is like one major tip you would give to them before they kind of make that leap?
0: Yeah. um, I actually had a recent friend that was discussing going into a, a service industry and, you know, he had always worked for other people his whole life, never been the entrepreneur type, right? And so... Now that he's making that dive, I, I definitely recommended that he go work for somebody in that industry first cause he never had. Um, so getting the experience of the industry, but then, you know, setting down, doing a, a legitimate business plan, making a marketing plan, you know, making sure that you're, you're budgeting everything out and then planning how far you want your business to grow, you know? Are you trying to hit, you know, 1 million, 5 million, 10 million? Like what's your goal in terms of revenue or your goal in terms of, you know, employees or, or just your lifestyle? You know, many businesses nowadays are are just lifestyle businesses. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're not trying to, you know, grow and, and dominate rule the world, but they're just wanting to get to a certain place in life that's comfortable for them. So really having a roadmap before you, you know, ever open your doors is probably the best thing you can do because, you know, your plans are going to change, but at least you're going to have some guidelines and, and you're going to have um, a path to take. That's going to help you just, you know, tremendously when you're navigating all those issues with employees, hiring and firing and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just everything that comes with being a business owner. So kind of circling back to, to
2: your business, the, the name, R4. What 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 prompted I assume there's some kind of meaning or, or behind it or history?
0: Yeah. So I mean early on, um I just operated, you know, with my own with my own name. Uh and then when we moved into the restoration industry, I wanted to make sure that people understood that, you know, as a restoration company, we were also licensed general contractors. We first and foremost, we've always been doing construction. And a lot of the restoration companies out there, uh, they only do, like, uh, structural drying. You know, they come in and dry a house out after floods, things like that. Or they'll do um, that, that drying. They'll do mold, but they don't actually do any reconstruction. So they usually come in, they'll uh, leave the house and walk away, or they'll, they'll, you know, tell you, oh, well, I have a friend that does construction or, you know, refer it to somebody else or subcontract it out. But as far as like we were a construction first uh, restoration company, so making sure that people understood the difference, I wanted to make sure that our name uh, said that. So the R4 is really four R's. its comes down to roofing, restoration, remodeling, and remediation. So you know basically just trying to encompass all aspects of this restoration industry. Mm-hmm.
2: So, looking at kind of the restoration or in the construction industry in general, uh, kind of the elephant in the room is everyone knows in the beginning of the year, the prices of lumber and everything else supplies is really up there. Yeah. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges that you see today in the industry?
0: There are some major issues in our industry in particular. Um, you know, challenges as far as supply chain issues, like like you mentioned, you know, lumber prices you know, skyrocketed. Luckily they've, they've come back down a, a good bit so far. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still not back to where they were, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, but, you know, we're still dealing with other issues, metal prices, you know, for wiring, for any kind of uh, anything that's made of metal, right? Metal prices are through the roof right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really just getting your hands on items, It is quite difficult. I mean, some windows vendors are telling me six months to a year before they could get me a window if I ordered it today. Um, so a lot of, um, builders are ordering windows before they even pour the concrete foundation. Mm. And, um, it's just crazy times that we live in as far as, you know, getting the right type of materials that we need in the restoration industry. We're supposed to be matching what you had and replacing, you know, or repairing, you know, what you had with, uh, the same product so nobody knows that there was a repair there before right mm-hmm. um, you know only in in cases of, of like a whole house being burned down can we just put something different there and you know and nobody knows but uh, as far as when we're doing small repairs we have to match what you had and and in cases like this I mean trying to find matches is sometimes it's just not possible mm-hmm. um, you know we have flooring products that are not going to be in stock for six months. And so, you know, we got to compromise and try to find a different product or we just have to say, okay, well then we got to wait. And so the homeowner has a tough decision to make on, on the materials and supply chain as far as that goes. But um, I'd say even bigger issue is, is the labor shortage in, in the construction industry in general. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're competing with uh, other companies that are, you know, large corporate companies able to offer a lot more benefits than we can. Um, you know, we're, we're competing with uh, just the mindset of a lot of uh, millennials and, and, you know, different ones nowadays that they just never were interested in a physical labor job. Yeah. they you know, they might either feel it's beneath them or maybe it's just, you know, they were always uh, pushed towards college or, you know, to do something, you know, on a computer or at an office. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really difficult to capture those who, you know, are actually interested in, in swinging a hammer and, and doing some manual labor. Mm-hmm. Um, so the labor shortage is, I mean, it's massive labor shortage that we're dealing with. And so, you know, really trying to stand out as far as that goes is is difficult too.
2: What can you kind of share with us, with the audience, what what is it like to be working at R4?
0: Well, we understand that, you know, it is a difficult job and and we have an awesome staff, super hardworking uh, employees that really put it out on the line for us. And so that helps a lot because, you know, when you're working next to somebody else that is a hard worker as well, Mm -hmm. you know, it makes you feel a lot better. It, you know, you don't feel like you're the one that has to, you know, do the job by yourself because you have no support, you have no help. So at least we have a great team, uh, a lot of teamwork where, you know, you feel like you're supported, you know, you're supported. And if you need help doing something, there's plenty of, you know, other employees there, your, your coworkers to help you out. So teamwork is huge uh, at R4. Um, but we also know that, you know, we need to be flexible in this day and age. I mean, things come up all the time, especially now um, with school systems being the way they are and, you know, COVID out there. Uh, sometimes we'll have, you know, last minute call outs because they have to stay home and watch their children because, you know, their their school shut down because somebody tested positive or, you know, there's there's all sorts of crazy scenarios that happen. So making sure that we're flexible makes an environment that you know, we all are, are just happy to be there and, and, and work at. Um, but you know, more than that, we really push for what benefits we can do. And we're, we're a small company. So like I said, we can't match the benefits of, of large corporations (laughs) and things like that. But, um, our environment, our culture is, is really strong. We, we always push for, um, you know, learning more additional learning so one of our core values is to have a thirst for knowledge so what that means for us is you know we do everything we can we have uh, spanish speaking employees that um you know they they do speak english some but it's not their you know native tongue so um we host and pay for a uh english as a second language class every thursday morning for an hour and all the Spanish speaking employees take part in the class. They get paid for their time as well as we pay for the class. So um, it's a good incentive uh, you know, for them to not only take that time, right? They get paid and, and, but it's also something that they wanted to do. And it's something that they would do regardless of getting paid or not. So we try to push continued education with um, personal things like that, mm-hmm. as well as with um, industry things like, you know, getting new certifications, um, making sure that we're staying uh, on on top of all the methods in our industry as to you know what we need to do for cleaning and restoration and reconstruction. So um, we're always pushing our guys to uh, go to class and, and get other certifications and making sure that we're we're staying on top of that. So mm-hmm. those are some big things that we try to push for at, at the company as as regards to you know some of the benefits that we do. We want professional development. We want people to achieve more. Working with us than they could by themselves, mm-hmm. and um, in, in that regard too, we just recently rolled out a new benefit uh, earlier in the year where we're doing company wide profit sharing now too. Mm-hmm. So we really, you know, I, I couldn't build this business on my own. We're a service industry, and it takes people to to take care of the customers. Mm-hmm. And you know, as a way to say thank you for that, uh, and and building this great team that we have now you know i wanted to make sure and and do a company-wide profit share so whether you're answering the phones or uh you're out there swinging a hammer you know it's it's a, a profit share throughout the whole company that everybody can take part in
2: great well you're definitely uh taking a step beyond and uh, getting ahead of the labor shortage because you're investing uh in your employees and they feel valued in that regard
0: yeah it It's helped with turnover, but, Uh you know, now we still got to put the word out there to
2: uh, attract new people. Certainly. Well, then sounds like you've got a lot of projects going and you initially started as a construction and then kind of reinvented yourself going to renovations and now investing uh, into your employees. Now just rolled out this year, the profit sharing plan. Is there any new projects on the horizon?
0: Yeah. So R4 Restoration has been um, the company I've been running to provide for my family and, and everybody that works there. Um, but we do have a, a new like sister company that we just started, mm-hmm. um, equilibrium homes. And it's really more of a, uh, I guess a project of passion, you know, uh, it's, it's focus is just really kind of close to my heart and it's something that we're pushing into. So that way we can, uh, expand, uh, in business, but also in purpose.
2: Can you share with us what is Equilibrium Homes?
0: So Equilibrium Homes is a new company that we're doing mainly new construction, but we're also doing some uh, large-scale renovation as well. But with the goal of um, being more eco-friendly uh, in terms of building more durable homes that need less maintenance, um, building homes that are more airtight and energy-efficient um, – our big push is is to make sure that we have healthy homes uh most homes, especially here in the south, you know we have a lot of uh humidity here we have a lot of uh you know with that comes a lot of uh, mold spores and things in the air um occasionally those smog alerts that we have right um so making sure that our indoor air quality is uh you know at a different standard than what you see in in most track homes nowadays. So by doing that, you know, we're making sure that the building envelope is is tighter um, as far as air and water is concerned and making sure that, uh, you know, it's more durable. And, and we regulate that indoor air to make sure it's a healthy and, and more efficient home. Can you kind of share with us
2: a quick perspective of for a, a listener right now who's a homeowner or running an office and they're wondering, okay, you're talking about all of this, like, wh- where do I get started? How do I know that the air quality in my home uh, is you know up to standard
0: um yeah that's <laughs> that's a tough one so um depending on the home that you're living in uh, there are indoor air quality tests that you can do um, and depending on the home depends on your levels right if if you have a very leaky home um, or if you have some uh, moisture in your home things like that then these tests may come back and show you that you know the the spore count for like a common airborne mold uh, aspergillus or penicillium type is going to be through the roof. I mean, we people, I guess a misconception with mold, a lot of people think that they have to have a water leak to actually have mold. Mm -hmm. Um, But here in Georgia, we see mold in crawl spaces, attics and basements, um, even in different parts of the living, you know, the, the home itself that have mold growing throughout simply because of a high humidity. Mm -hmm. Um, So, the um, air quality test that you can get will actually give you a count of like how uh, high your mold spore count is inside your home versus outside your home. So by doing that, they can really identify if they do have an issue like that. And then um, if there is a problem, then we can help come in and remediate that.
2: Great. So for our listeners who are interested either in remodeling, restoring, or finding out, you know, maybe there's a bit more mode than they anticipated <laughs> in their place because, well, we are in Georgia with humidity. How best can they find you?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, they can visit our website, um, r4restoration.com. That's a letter R, number four, restoration.com. Or uh, send us an email, contact at r4restoration, or, or give us a call. Phone call is always the best. So 404 428 1255. Great. Thank you. Thank you.
2: So with today's show theme, it's all about informing and educating the people or the stakeholders uh, to make best decisions for themselves, uh, whether truly understanding what they're really fighting for. It's sometimes not on the surface uh, in terms of family conversations or kind of going into the more physical realm. Sometimes it's just, well, just because there's no leak doesn't mean that there's no boat. So sometimes the surface level, whether it be in conversation or in the physical realm of our homes or our offices, can be a little bit misleading. So our question to kind of bring uh, our two wonderful guests back uh, would be, if there is one major thing that you can re- advise to our listeners, that when you hear X, whether there's something that could be in in passing or conversation or or a sign you're looking for that is really surface level, but that should be a red sign or red flag for yourself. Yeah, you say that, or I see this, but that's just surface level. There's something a little bit more deeper to that. So what is that one or two things that you would advise, whether, again, to uh, Leah's uh, side is conversation and to jeremy's side uh, something that we should look for uh, at our homes. so while our guests are thinking about their answers this is of course the east part so of course this show is uh, sponsored by yours truly anthony chen with lighthouse financial network securities and advisory services offered through royal alliance associates inc raa member finra sipc RAA is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names. Products or services referenced here are independent of RAA. The main office address is 575 Broad Hollow Road, Melville, New York, 11747. Uh, you can best reach me at 631-465-9090. Uh, my extension is 5075 or preferably uh, by email, which is just my full name, Anthony Chen, C-H-E-N, at... L-F-N-L-L-C dot com. Now back to our guests. The question again is, what are some of the signs, red flags one should notice that something's just very surface level, but there's something a little deeper underneath? Leah? Uh, there we go. Yeah. Um.
1: There are a lot of different surface level cues that can show that there's conflict. A lot of times it's the trying to deflect and show that they don't want to talk about it. Oh, I know that's just the way they are. It's how things are. But I would say that these listeners in this context, money conversations, money conversations are really, really just about the money. Mm-hmm. When they're in families, they're a lot about the relationships. Money is stands in for other things. And so, when there's a money disagreement, there's usually a hint that there's other things really uh, underneath that. And think of it as the tectonic plates. The money is just the geography that you can see. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, thank you. And Jeremy.
0: So, uh, I would say if you've been living in the home for quite some time, you know, you're going to know when something is out of the ordinary. So the biggest thing that you can do is just take note when something has changed, when, when there's anything, uh, out of the ordinary, whether it be, you know, your, your wood floors you're walking across kind of are, are rippling a little bit more than they normally do. They feel a little bit rougher. I mean, if there's a musty odor in the home, I mean, whenever you see anything out of the ordinary, that's when you need to really just take note and start learning and, and kind of diving in because there could be a, uh, additional problem kind of, you know, deeper in that you need to diagnose and fix. So that way you can make sure and have a healthy home.
2: Great. Well, thank you, Leah. Thank you, Jeremy, for coming on the show and sharing uh, your guidance and things to look for, red flags to look for our audience.
0: Thank you. Right.
2: So this is kind of a little uh, of my take. Again, I'm Anthony Chen with Lighthouse Financial. So kind of going with today's theme of looking at surface level or, or shallow uh, level areas or red flags, signs for now looking into the financial world, uh talking about emotions and uh, being very emotionally charged, especially uh, bringing up financial or money subjects, or looking at things that are a little out of the ordinary. So when having conversations uh with clients uh, with our finances, can be very uncomfortable. And sometimes the objections or, or the concern is not always <laughs> what they say it is. And to get that conversation started, Uh, before I even come in, is for uh, the couples to really understand where is the disagreement really is at. As Leah mentioned, sometimes it's just the money, but sometimes it could be the meaning behind the money. Uh, Perhaps, uh, as Leah mentioned before, there could be trauma associated with financial situations, and these are things that we should really take into account because sometimes it's not just about the dollars and cents, but rather the emotion that we wrap around a particular meaning. And sometimes I even encountered uh, clients where a particular dollar amount, just because of a, a childhood experience with that association, means more than anything else. So so getting back to the conversation of well, what are signs to look for and how do we engage that conversation? So in finance, it's sometimes not always just about the money. It's sometimes just an event that happened. In their life. And in order to begin that conversation, we need to first ask why and what is it that makes them feel that way. Thank you for listening in. And this is Family Business Radio with Anthony Chan.